0: can provide good protection for a whole year. You're listening to the news on RTHK. With music, news and information, this is Radio 3.
1: Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on the final day before Easter, Thursday the 14th of April. A warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines. US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has warned of consequences for China if it undermines Russia sanctions. Speaking to the Atlantic Council yesterday, she singled out China and other countries who she said are sitting on the fence, perhaps seeing an opportunity to gain by preserving their relationship with Russia and backfilling the void left by others. She cautioned that the world's attitude towards China may well be affected by China's reaction to our call for resolute action on Russia. Hong Kong's biggest six banks will reopen all their branches in the city as COVID-19 cases ease. HSBC, Standard Chartered, Bank of China, Hong Kong, the city's three currency-issuing banks, will reopen all branches on April the 19th, along with Hang Seng, Citibank and Shanghai Commercial Bank. Between them, the six banks have 687 branches around Hong Kong, repre- representing almost two-thirds of all banking branches across the SAR. UK inflation rose to a fresh 30-year high of 7% in March after fuel prices surged. The reading was above the 6.7% forecast by economists, and up from 6.2% in February. Fuel had the biggest impact on the inflation rate, with transport fuel prices surging at an annual rate of 30.7%. That's the largest monthly rise since records began in 1989. And the Bank of Canada has raised its benchmark interest rate by half a percentage point to 1%, the biggest increase since May 2000 to combat soaring inflation. The central bank also said it would end its bond-buying programme on April the 25th and would not replace maturing government bonds. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by personal wealth advisor Enzio von Faul and Christopher Lee at Farron Augustine and Alexander Investments. With a view from Taiwan, is Ross Feingold of SAPROK Group.
0: Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3
1: On Wall Street, U.S. stocks rallied as traders pared back their expectations for interest rate rises after Tuesday's consumer price data showed a surprise decline in core month-on-month inflation, providing some optimism for economists that inflation there may be peaking. High-growth technology shares that are considered to be vulnerable to higher rates did particularly well. Tech-heavy Nasdaq Composite surged 2% to 13644 The S&P 500 added 1.1% to 4,447. The Dow gained 344 points to end the day at 34,565. Bank stocks were weak as first quarter earnings season kicked off with a miss for JP Morgan. The bank posted a 42% decline in first quarter profits. And the bank also revealed that it had suffered a $524 million loss Tied to the market fallout from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And also, after six consecutive quarters of reserve releases, JP Morgan added to its loan loss allowance by over $900 million. That's the first such increase since March 2020. Shares of JP Morgan fell 3.2%. In Europe, the regional stock 600 index was almost unchanged on the day. London's FTSE 100 rose 0.1%. Hong Kong stocks dropped at the open on Wednesday after new COVID cases rose again to a record in Shanghai, denting hopes that lockdowns across the city could end soon. However, shares recovered as the day wore on. The Hang Seng Index ended the day 55 points, or a third of a percent higher, at 21,374. The Hang Seng Tech Index climbed half a percent. The Shanghai Composite, though, that fell 0.8 percent to 3,187. And in Shenzhen, the Chinex was 2.3% lower. In the commodities markets, oil prices soared on reports of Russia shutting down oil production at a more ma- rapid rate, close to 1 million barrels a day. Brent crude oil jumped almost 4% and is at $108.84 a barrel. U.S. natural gas prices surged above $7 to their highest level since January 2015. Agricultural commodities also soared, with corn futures at their highest since October 2012, and gold is half a percent higher at $1,978 an ounce. The rally in US government debts continued into a second day on Wednesday, as traders pared back their expectations for the number of rate hikes from uh, the Fed this year. Fed fund futures markets show investors now expect the Fed to raise rates by a further two percentage points by the end of the year. That's down a quarter of a percentage points from predictions earlier in the week. The two-year Treasury yield, which is highly sensitive to monetary policy expectations, sank as much as 14 basis points to 2.27%, its lowest level this month, before settling six basis points lower at 2.35%. And the yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury note fell three basis points to 2.69%. In the currency markets, the Japanese yen has fallen to a 20 year low against the dollar, fell as much as half a percent to below one twenty-six against the dollar. That's the lowest level since May 2002 after the Bank of Japan said it will continue with its stimulus measures in order to support the the economy. The yen's almost 9% lower year to date. It has recovered a little this morning and is trading right now at 125.44. The euro's at $1.09. Sterling is worth $1.31 and a quarter, percent, uh, quarter cents and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 29 cents. The Chinese Yuan, that's at 6.38 in offshore markets, and Bitcoin is up 4% at $41,100. Stocks in the Asia Pacific region are tra- trending higher this morning. In Australia, the SX200 up 0.2%. In Japan, where stocks have just opened, Nikkei 225 is up a third of a percent. Uh, the Cosby down slightly, in South Korea down 0.1%. Futures markets pointing for a gain of about 80 points in the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 8, 8, 8, 10 Let's welcome our guests. We have our regular Thursday morning commentator, personal wealth advisor, Enzio Ron Morning to you, Enzio. Good
2: morning, Peter.
1: And also with us, Christopher Lee of Farron, Augustine and Alexander Investments. Welcome back, Christopher. Uh, good morning, Peter. Um, let's start with inflation. It's hard to know uh, where to go on the inflation front because there's so much news out at the moment. Uh, in the US, surging energy and food prices, they sent consumer price inflation to 8.5%. That's a 40-year high. We also had uh, data on producer price growth in the US, which also surged to a record, the Producer Price Index, which tracks the prices businesses receive for their goods and services, rose 11.2% last month compared with a year ago. And what about the UK? Inflation there at a 30 year high of 7%. Uh, fuel had the biggest impact on inflation, surging at an annual rate of 30.7%, the largest monthly rise since records began in uh, 1989, and both the Bank of Canada and the Reserve Bank of New Zealand have raised interest rates uh, by half a percentage point. uh, In Bank of Canada's case to 1%, the biggest increase since May 2000, and in the Reserve Bank of New Zealand's case, interest rates now 1.5% after the biggest increase since the year 2000. Enzio, we've talked a lot about inflation with you on this show, we've talked about other types yes. of inflation that we're seeing, but it seems every time we discuss this, it does seem to be getting worse, doesn't it?
2: Yes, and that's, again, because inflation has two parts, cost push and demand pull. Now, the demand pull is the stuff that the Fed can control because it basically boils down to too much money chasing too few goods. However, the cost push side of the equation cannot be controlled by the Fed. That's the stuff that is driving up food prices, the stuff being weather patterns, El Nino, La Nina, and of course also the energy prices, the politics of OPEC and Ukraine also tie into that. So that Fed is that inflation rate is going to be here for a long, long time. And that's where I think that the, to, to jump, that the markets are... Betting are praying a little bit too much that the Fed funds won't be rising a lot more. I think that rally is is a false dawn.
1: So isn't the answer? I, I take the point. The Fed can't do much about these surging energy and food uh, prices, yes. which is really a supply shock. Um, but isn't the answer, which is really what James Bullard was su- suggesting? The Fed now has no choice but to bring down demand uh, to meet this uh, lower supply, and that could be um, putting the uh, the U.S. economy into recession.
2: Yes, the it's been shown that the Fed has always kind of overshot its mark anyway, mm. um, and I, I I'm not as, if, as as if I wouldn't be doing that myself, for heaven's sakes. So um, I think that he's in, he's saying something very, very true. But also, at the same time, it's very important to point out that the false rally that we had were the bond prices were rising because people were buying bonds off the expectation that the rates would – that the Fed funds would stop rising. I think that's a bunch of nonsense.
1: Mm. Christopher, what's your assessment of what's going on? Are central banks in a hole Mm -hmm. now?
3: Well, I mean, I think uh – just building on what NCO was saying about the Fed positioning, right? So they have uh, changed their terminology. I mean, it's no longer transitory, right? Mm-hmm. So they stopped using that term. And uh, to your point earlier, very specifically about uh, what James Bullock said, and he actually said that uh, it would be a fantasy to think that the uh, central bank can actually bring inflation down without uh, actually constraining the economy. So this is pretty much saying that uh, they have to put brakes on the economic activities and i was actually in the u.s about uh, two months ago and standing at the gas station looking at the prices that you see at the gas station they're basically paying more than six dollars per gallon Mm -hmm. so as you said i mean 8.5 percent inflation rate in march is really not a surprise so this is really in line with what we have been talking about, which is that uh, they're really doing what they can to really bring down the inflation. It's not just in the US. You said it in the UK, 7% and then uh, elsewhere, Canada and everywhere else. So this is uh, basically for everybody.
1: Do you see any signs that maybe it's peaking? Some people were looking at this core consumer price index, the month-on-month rise, uh, slowed to uh, to 0.3 percent from half percent the month before some people have taken that as a good sign which is uh, why we're seeing this rally in bonds do you see it that way
3: we i think need more numbers and need more data i mean i think there's still a bit of a uh, disconnect uh, like you mentioned china earlier so we see the chinese uh, cpi still at only about 1.5% as opposed to the uh, 8.5% of the U.S. CPI that you mentioned. And um, so there's still, I think, some small talk about the uh, rate cut action perhaps in April. Uh, maybe this is the last chance for China to actually consider that. But uh, we we need more time in the next two months to really see whether the peaking uh, uh, effect that you mentioned will be there.
1: Ezio, is... Um is the problem here now that uh, inflation is really getting very badly entrenched we're seeing expectations go up we're seeing not just uh, the headline rate but the core rate go up Uh, in the UK it was interesting what the office for national statistics said they said uh, on this month's inflation data there were no large offsetting downward contributions to the inflation rates which basically means nothing is getting significantly cheaper it's getting more and more entrenched isn't it
2: Yes, I think that's a good point. But again, just to go back to Mr. Bullard on that, um, he, just by controlling demand, you cannot control sunspots, a.k.a. El Nino or La Nina. You cannot control the politics of OPEC. So again, they're trying to chase, some, they're trying to repair a car engine with knitting needles, and it just doesn't work. So your answer is absolutely right, especially with relatively strong labor markets in america something which i missed quite frankly um that the inflationary expectation what christopher was just saying about that six dollars gas price um that that's going to um per gallon that that's that's here to stay for a long time
1: Mm. Um, christopher what what about out here in the Asia-Pacific region. You mentioned mm-hmm. the Bank of China, also the Bank of Japan um, as yep. well. It looks like the Bank of Japan is, in effect, going to sacrifice the yen to try mm-hmm. and keep its loose mon- monetary policy, even though uh, inflation starting to pick up there as well.
3: Yeah, so uh, at a really, I think, uh, all-time low, almost a 20-year low against the dollar, as you said, at uh, 126 yen to the dollar. Um, but I am a little bit more optimistic. I mean, here in Hong Kong, as you uh mentioned earlier that the bank branches are going to open after April 19th and then after I think uh, April uh, 21st restaurants and also uh, karaoke bars will uh, also have more relaxation and then um, you know the chief executive uh, sort of uh, election will take place on May the 8th and then following the schedule of uh, May 21st and June 21st seems like um, all the restrictions will potentially be lifted so I think with all those uh, increase activities, that brings to the point that we were all talking about earlier, that uh, more and more economic activities and more and more, I think, uh, upward pressure in terms of inflation. Uh, But I do think that uh, uh, UK sort of like uh, opening up a couple months back is uh, starting a trend that uh, Hong Kong is also starting to open up. And then so this will, again, put a little bit more sort of like upward pressure on inflation.
1: And do you see the same thing happening on the mainland? Do you think uh, once these lockdowns are finished, the policy is going to change? Because surely when the next wave comes, uh, which it surely will, or when the next variant comes, which Mm -hmm. seems almost inevitable, we can't go through this over and over again, can we?
3: It's been very painful for the people I know in Shanghai. Um, So they are going through this period of lockdown, indefinitely at the moment right so they are actually quite nervous uh, from what i hear and i send you know all our best wishes to them i think uh, this will be you know this shall pass and then uh, we will see the light at the end of the tunnel for them as well
1: enzio you've been talking for a while now about stagflation predicting yeah. stagflation what do you invest in in a stagflationary environment well
2: quite clearly the First of all, you want to diversify like crazy because you want to diversify well-managed companies, not just any old thing running around, but well-managed companies diversify, have lots of different stocks in your portfolio because you don't know, you don't want to bank on the farm, you don't want to bank on one stock and keep fingers crossed. Mm. Secondly, you want low beta stocks. That do not correlate strongly with market movements. That comes out in a recent book by investors, Mr. Illman, um, on the um, on amid investing amid low expected returns. So he's expecting expe- returns of 3.2 in real per- in real terms, or five and a half in nominal terms going forward so you want low beta stocks stocks that don't correlate with markets and thirdly i still doggedly cling on to china i think there will be some pickup in inflation but i think that with the national party congress looming i guess around november please correct me that you will find that they ease up massively to get the economy going again and i think that will make people want to buy into the china story
1: christopher what would you invest in in a high inflation environment
3: Right now, I think uh, high-dividend-paying stocks, blue-chip names are really what a lot of family offices are looking at, right? So, I mean, the tech community has taken a hit, and uh, right now, bonds are not really generating any. But uh, in terms of equities, this is still a good uh, long-term bet. And also, blue-chip equities with high-dividend-paying rate. There are still some good names um, in the uh, in the U.S. market and also here in Hong Kong. So uh, I would actually be more interested in exploring the high dividend paying uh, blue chip equities.
1: And, and is that traditional inflation hedge, gold, still a good investment? I'm not
3: quite sure about commodity at this point, but uh, I have been, I think, I'm benefiting from equities investment over the years. So uh, I stick to what I know.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: Enzio, what about here in Hong Kong and China? uh, We're on the mainland. Uh, China still has this maybe small window to try and reduce uh, interest rates. And we've also now got the regulators actively supporting the market, calling for China companies to buy back their shares, uh, calling for uh, public security funds, pension funds, trust companies uh, to go and invest in the markets. What do you make of that?
2: Well, again, I think it all it all smacks of that party Congress looming. It's a little bit like the midterms in the U.S. in an odd sort of way. I know one is a democracy, one isn't. I kind of guessed that one. But um, I do think that you will find more, not just rate cuts, but also the central bank telling the banks just to lend more um, so that the, the quantity of lending will also go up. And I I remain quite optimistic because, again, back to my economic clock, for better or for worse, whenever there's an excess supply of money... In other words, too much money swilling about. It has to, by definition, go into asset markets because you've paid for the school fees, the house, the mortgage and all that. So you still have $100 left, 100 RMB. You're going to go into asset markets with that. In China, that will be very much into the stock market.
1: Mm. Isn't the China Securities Regulatory Commission doing itself a huge disservice here um, and damaging its reputation? A regulator is supposed to be neutral on the market direction. It's the referee of the markets. It wants open, fair, transparent markets, and it certainly wants to deal with abuses, um, but it shouldn't be there to try and um, influence the direction of the markets. This isn't right, is it?
2: I think you're right. Um, But maybe, again, it it may just be because they are... So keen to get this thing to get the engine reignited again that they had to step in. But I think, as an overall statement, I would agree with you that the it's a little bit as if Janet Yellen is out there, or the the um, Fed is out there saying, or the SEC is out there saying w- which way the market's going. That's that's a bit of a boo boo. But let's mm-hmm. let's watch. Let's not get too fast about this time round.
1: Well, what do you think about it, uh, Christopher? It's a very yeah. odd thing for a regulator to do, isn't it? To basically tell companies to buy back their shares and use public mm-hmm. money to invest in the market.
3: It is. And uh, okay, again, I mean, look at what the numbers are, right? So first time in 12 years, uh, the 10-year Chinese government bond yield is uh, less than the U.S. Mm. So clearly, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, I think, um, you know, uncertainties there. And just to your point, Peter, about market intervention, if they do it right, I think this could be a big positive. And uh, so market intervention, I think, did happen in 1997 here in Hong Kong, right? Mm. So... uh, during the Asian financial crisis, I think some uh, Asian governments obviously stepped in and uh, bought a lot of uh, equities in the marketplace and created the ETF for the Hong mm-hmm. Kong uh, citizens. So that was a big positive. And you can also argue that uh, the 2008 um, you know TAP program, Trouble Asset Relief Program in the U.S., uh, spearheaded by Treasury Secretary Hank Corson, was also a good move in terms of intervening and also uh, trying to do what is right. So I think you have to pick and choose. I mean, obviously, pick your battles. You cannot be seeing the regulator intervening the market every other month. But when times are tough and when they are needed, then I would be supportive if they come in at the right time.
1: Okay, well, thank you both very much. Have a happy Easter. That's Christopher Lee from Farron Augustine and Alexander Investments and personal wealth advisor in Zio von Feil. You're listening to Money Talk. On RTHK Radio, 3. RTHK Radio 3. It's 8.25. 25. Let's go over to Taipei and talk with Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. Morning, Ross. Good morning. So, we're two months into now the Russia Ukraine war. What lessons have we learnt from it?
4: Well, uh, from the bigger global perspective, taking uh, stepping aside just from the, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, One thing is the hopes that many had, uh, particularly on the the political right in the U.S., lesser extent maybe the political left, that Russia and the U.S. could team up against China. That clearly seems to uh, be dead, so uh, relations between the United States and Russia, and of course Western Europe and Russia, appear set for for a lengthy period of time of of, uh, uh, tension. Even if the NATO countries don't become directly involved in the fighting. the, the sanctions uh the, and certainly the, the rhetoric and, and the ill will is is going to last a long time regardless of what happens uh on the battlefield uh, another lesson i think we could take away from this is that nato is not quite dead uh despite claims even by french president macron about NATO being brain dead or, or however he described it just a few years ago and Former President Trump certainly had his doubts about NATO and calls for uh, other countries in Europe to spend more on defense have been a a longtime uh, concern of the United States. Uh, But uh, it it seems that NATO clearly still has a role. And in fact, more countries might even want to join uh, in Europe, even if Ukraine, as part of an agreement with Russia, ultimately does agree not to join. And I'll give you one more that is uh, commentators like me think tank scholars journalists seem to have an endless amount of time to make comparisons between mm-hmm. ukraine and where i'm sitting today
1: taiwan mm. well i mean let me let me expand on a couple of those points i mean uh, the unity of the eu in particular and also nato and also the way the west really is, has come together has been a surprise really hasn't it? it's probably been an even bigger surprise to president putin
3: it took a
4: while to get there, though. Even if we think about an issue like, like Nord Stream 2, and it was only in those final days before the war that, that Germany was persuaded to, uh, at the time, you know, so much has changed since then, but, but uh, you know, around February uh, twenty twentieth, just days before the invasion, to suspend the, the certification process uh, of Nord Stream 2. So it, it took the most important countries a while to get there, uh, but yes, uh, they've, kind of rose to the moment, uh what other issues that will carry over to is certainly something to watch and, and China's is a particularly obvious one with this mm-hmm. kind of unity uh, against Russia carry over the EU's policies on China uh whether it's uh, that's on trade or human rights or other issues definitely worth watching
1: what does it mean for the US relationship with China we're we're seeing more and more warnings from the US about uh China undermining Russia's sanctions and seeking to fill the void left by others we had Janet Yellen saying that uh, just overnight. what do you think what do you think it means for China and how are they going to react to this?
2: well it's interesting
4: thing there is because now the United States, of course in, in the interim we've had a change of administrations, but but we flipped uh, you know, for, as I said earlier, you have people in the United States who said, well, maybe uh, we could team up with Russia against China and then suddenly you have the Biden administration uh, asking or I would even say begging. China to use its influence with, with Russia to prevent the invasion. Then, when the invasion occurred, the United States again begging uh, China to uh, use its influence with Russia uh, to, to withdraw, to, uh, then asking China not to trade with Russia. so uh, on that aspect of, of, of these events of the United States has clearly failed to persuade China uh, to, to use its influence to, uh, with Russia to prompt a withdrawal by Russia. Uh, China is going to continue to trade with Russia. And then now it just becomes one more issue in a very contentious bilateral relationship. Again, whether that's trade issues, Hong Kong's uh, various kinds of sanctions against government officials or uh, restrictions on doing business with Chinese companies. Uh, now the United States, uh, China bilateral agenda has Russia as we get one more contentious issue
1: and you mentioned taiwan just briefly what what are the lessons for taiwan
4: uh, well a lot of speculation about you know, will this cause uh, people in taiwan to take uh, defense more seriously uh, there was news uh within the last couple of days which the the spokespeople of the chinese government did respond to about a handbook that, that's being made available to the public about what to do and uh, you have to ask yourself what they just realized this now here <laughs> in taiwan mm-hmm. uh, uh, so uh, again, part of this, unfortunately, is just political or it's just a show. Uh, but uh, we're going into a local election here in Taiwan 14 months later, followed by the, the legislative and, and presidential election. So we'll have to see how those things play out. Uh, but but it will probably you'll probably hear politicians in Taiwan after for the last few weeks saying uh, it's not it's not right to make this comparison as we get into elections here, we'll probably hear politicians say, we have to compare ourselves to Ukraine and prepare mm. accordingly.
1: Okay, Ross, well have a good Easter. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at Sapro Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Final look at the markets for the week. The ASX 200 in Australia up two-thirds of one percent now. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 also advancing further up one. percent Cosby in South Korea, though, is down, uh, down about a quarter of a percent. But it does look like the Hang Seng is going to add about 100 points at the Open this morning. Thank you very much for listening this morning. And Money Talk will return on Tuesday after the Easter holidays. In the meantime, from all of us on the Money Talk team, have a very happy Easter. Covid updates coming up next with Jim Gould and Paul Zimmerman after the news. Just before I go, let me give you an update on the Easter weather. Mainly fine, hot and dry during the day. Maximum temperature today of about 30 degrees and then mainly fine and hot tomorrow as well. Going to be cloudier in the following couple of days and the temperatures will be slightly lower. The temperature right now is 24 degrees, 73% relative
0: humidity. (laughs) Times 8.32, here's Andy Sharofsky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Hong Kong government officials have rejected what they called unfounded allegations in a U.S. report that said human rights and political freedoms were being eroded. Here's Aaron Tam.
2: In its report on human rights practices, U.S. officials said China has continued to dismantle Hong Kong's political freedoms and autonomy in 2021. Regarding national security, the report said it's no longer clear if Hong Kong civilian authorities maintain autonomous control over the territory's security services, saying that Hong Kong security forces have taken actions including arrests against people deemed critical of the central and SAR governments. The government in response said that they have the constitutional duty to safeguard national security, and that since the implementation of the national security law, stability has been restored in Hong Kong. The authorities strongly urged the United States to immediately stop intervening in Hong Kong matters.
0: Police in New York have arrested a suspect wanted in a shooting at a subway station in the borough of Brooklyn on Tuesday. Ten people were injured when the gunman fired 33 rounds from a semi-automatic handgun. The BBC's Not A Topic has more.
1: New York's Mayor Eric Adams announced that the suspect had been arrested, saying we got him. 62-year-old Frank James was walking in downtown Manhattan when he was stopped by NYPD patrol officers and taken into custody without incident. Officers were able to locate him after a tip from the public. During a press briefing, officials said he was known to authorities and had ties to several states. In New York, he had nine prior arrests from 1992 to 1998, including burglary and sex acts. Frank James now faces federal charges for a terrorist attack on mass transit, which carries a sentence of up to life in prison.
0: U.S. President Joe Biden has announced an additional 800 million U.S. dollars in military assistance to Ukraine. The package would include artillery systems and rounds, uh, along with armored personnel carriers. U.S. defense officials say total U.S. military aid to Ukraine now stands at more than 3 billion U.S. dollars. Earlier, President Volodymyr Zelensky urged the West to send more heavy weaponry to his country to repel Russia. He said freedom must be armed better than tyranny.
3: The images of Bucha and Mariupol have demonstrated real Russian intentions to the whole world. It could only be stopped by force of arms. It must be done now. Ukraine needs
2: weapon supplies. We need heavy artillery, armed vehicles.